Oh, Heavenly Father, I just come before you right now, Lord, and I, um, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for your word. I thank you, Jesus, that... Um, I thank you, Jesus, that we can come to you with our confusion and our weakness and our doubts and our frailty, and we can find grace in our time of need. We can ask for and receive so much mercy, God. And I thank you that even beyond that, Lord, that in your grace, we can find the sanctifying work of your Spirit played out in our lives, and we can experience holiness, and we can experience intimacy with you. And I thank you, Jesus, that you set us free from the penalty of sin. But I thank you, God, that you have and are continuing to set us free from the power of sin in our lives, Jesus. And I just pray that as we dig into the idea of obedience this morning in your word, I pray that you would open up our ears to hear, give us eyes to see, open up our hearts, God, to receive um, what you're going to speak to us this morning. And um, and I pray, Lord God, that you would anoint me to, to speak, that these would not be my words, Jesus, that you would still my tongue to speak anything but your words. And I pray that you just lead me and guide me. And, um, and I'm just admitting, God, unless you show up and your spirit moves this morning, nothing of lasting import will take place, Jesus. I need your spirit here to speak through me. And everybody listening needs your spirit to hear anything that would have lasting impact. And we need your spirit to change our hearts, God. And I pray that above all things. God, please, please, please use your word this morning to cut out lies and fear and doubts about who you are and who we are in Christ. And I pray that you would surgically implant the truth in the deep places of our heart, Lord God, and, and in ways that it will stick and, and it will change how we perceive the world and how we perceive you, Jesus, and how we live. Amen. All right, so um, this feels weird. <laughs> um, yeah, it feels a little bit different because I'm, I'm, last time I did this, there were a lot more people in here, but this is, this is actually kind of cool. It's cozy. This morning, I'm going to be preaching on something that is actually like really hard for me. Um, I'm going to be preaching on obedience, and the reason it's really hard for me is to kind of give a little context, like Growing up in a Christian household, for whatever reason, obedience always had this connotation of performance for me. So the idea of God's commands and his word and being obedient for me was about doing the right thing and performing in a way that would make God happy with me or make God proud of me or make God like me. And where it got really, really hairy was and I feel like I still carry some of this with me, is if I sin or if I disobeyed or, or even if I made mistakes, just honest mistakes that weren't sin, I could walk away with this impression that, man, I've messed up. God is really disappointed in me now and he doesn't like me anymore or he's angry with me and I need to like do the right things again to make up for what I messed up. And it honestly created a lot of like tension in my relationship with the Lord because it's it's difficult to go running to someone for, for help or forgiveness or intimacy when you think they're angry with you and they don't like you. And I, th- I feel like I've mentioned this before, but there's that passage in Hebrews that says we can approach the throne of grace with boldness, you know, find help in our time of need. And, and honestly, growing up, I didn't like that. Even until like recently, I didn't like that verse because the idea of like running to the throne for me, it was a throne of judgment. So the idea of like running to the throne of judgment wasn't exciting for me, you know? And as I 
as I grew in my faith and as I've grown closer to the Lord and really learning about like grace and the gospel, it's really changed a lot of that. But it's also raised a lot of questions for me. And it's funny because my son apparently <laughs> shares the same sentiment because Kate was talking with my oldest, Rusty, recently and um, just explaining to him, look, obedience doesn't change our standing with God. Like if you're in Christ, because we have this conversation a lot because superheroes is like a really big thing nowadays. Um, you know, you hear the terms good guys and bad guys, right? Um, but we try to explain to our boys, if you're in Christ, you're a good guy. If you're not, you're a, you're a bad guy. But that's, that's how it works. Like if you're not in Christ, you're in sin. You're, you're fallen. You are far from the Lord and you're, you're stuck and enslaved to your sin and your hatred. There's enmity between you and God. And so she was explaining to Rusty, you know, now that we're in Christ, we have right standing with God. Your obedience doesn't make God like you more. Your obedience doesn't make God like more proud of you. You're in Christ. Like he loves you. You're acceptable in his sight. You're, you're good. <laughs> and I feel like this was like me coming out. He was like, that's great, mom. So why do I have to obey then? Like why, <laughs> like, why do I have to do that? Like if I'm really good with God and he's already like proud of me and loves me, then why do I have to like obey? Because obeying is hard sometimes, right? Like God tells us to do things we don't want to do, or God asks us to do things that like are a lot harder than what it would be to just do what we want to do. And so that's that's one of my questions. And so I'm just going to list some of these questions, and we're going to kind of look at some different passages and try to answer some of these, okay? So why do we obey? Like like Rusty you know, was saying, if we're in Christ and it doesn't change our standing with God, why do we need to obey? What should the motivation be? Like, what is the purpose in my heart when I obey? Like, what should be my motivation in doing that? What's my objective? Like, what am I trying to accomplish when I obey? Because again, we're saved, we're in Christ, we, we're in right standing. So what does obeying more accomplish? And for me, like, if if my sin is covered by the blood, then what's the big deal if, if I don't obey? Like, there's grace for that, right? Um, the next question is how to obey and how does God get glory out of that? Because that's something I've really struggled with. It's like, okay, well, if I obey and I work really hard to obey the commandments of the Lord, I don't understand how that gives God glory because if I'm doing all of the work and I'm bringing all the resource, like I should get the glory. I, I'm the one that did it. So how, do, how does obedience bring God glory? Because it talks about that in the word a lot. <clears throat> and also like, what's, what's the end game with obedience? Like what's the grand purpose? You know, like, for, for God and giving the commands, what's, what should, like, what am I looking forward to in a life of serving the Lord and obedience to him, okay? So what we're going to start with is we're going to jump into Psalm 78. And for my life group, I apologize because some of this might be a little bit of review because we've been kind of looking at this the past couple weeks. And we're going to start in verse 1. <clears throat> All right, so Psalm 78 verses 1 through 8 says, <clears throat> Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generations the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and rise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, 
whose spirit was not faithful to God. And so I want to point out a couple of things that, um, that he talks about in here, okay? The idea is it was really, really important for the Israelites, and this comes up a lot in the different Psalms. It was really important to pass down these, these stories of what actually happened. And honestly, Mike has been talking about this. I feel like it's been really cool to see. Like the Red Sea, the crossing of the Red Sea was such a big deal. And it was so important that that be passed on from generation to generation because the people didn't want, God didn't want the next generation who didn't physically see what happened to forget the huge and mighty and awesome deeds of the Lord and setting them free from the power of Egypt which is cool, like translating that into us, like we've been set free from the power of sin and death, right? Miraculously, it is a big deal. Like when we see those huge um, <clears throat> deeds of the Lord in, in, in turning the, the sea to blood and the locusts and the gnats and the hail and, and, and the death and all this, the mighty, awesome power of God exhibited on behalf of the people of Israel, right? In the crossing of the Red Sea, an actual very deep, very large, body of water, not just some little like retention pond, huge towers of water standing over them. They walk through on dry land. All of this is crazy. And the other, and it's really cool too, because <clears throat> the other nations heard about this stuff. It wasn't just something that like the Israelites got to experience. Like other nations heard about it and were terrified. Like, cause Rahab talks about that. Like the people are literally here in the city of Jericho. They, they are shaking with fear because they know like God is with you because they heard about the things that were done. Awesome. And that's like, it's no less miraculous that we're set free, like in, in, in our salvation in Christ, right? But why? Why is it so important that they remember all this stuff? And it's so that they would remember, it's so they would set their hope in, and they would obey the commands of the Lord, which I think is really interesting. Okay, so, okay, remember this awesome stuff just so that I will obey. Um, but then I want us to scroll down to, scroll down, go to verse 22. Um, he, and he, he makes this even clearer um, because some of the future, like that generation didn't respond the way that they were meant to respond in remembering and hoping and obeying and it, because they demanded food from the Lord. They just had this really ugly attitude and God was upset because, verse 22 says, because they did not believe in God and did not trust his saving power. So there is an element of trust in the obedience. And I think that's really interesting because um, I've been like off and on reading this book called like the, uh, called the power of future grace. And the idea is that we can look back at all that Jesus accomplished for us in his life, death, resurrection, ascension, and remember in our minds, the same God that loved us enough to do all of that for us is the same God that we serve today. Right, And he's given us promises, and there's so many awesome promises in the Word. And one thing I like to tell my life group is like, honestly, anytime you see a command in Scripture, it's a promise. Because Jesus said, like, apart from me, you can do no good thing. And there's so many promises about how we can find grace to obey. So even the commandments are inherently promises too. But the idea is that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if we look back and see, wow, God loved me so much that he was willing to send his son to make such a huge sacrifice and he exhibited so much power in that act, that's the same God today in whatever moment, whatever situation I'm in right now. It's also the same God that's going to be acting in the future, right? And he promises to be that same God through his explicit promises laid out in his word. But this like this passage here just makes it really, really clear there, there's trust in this as well. So it's not just that like, okay, yeah, that's a great and awesome guy, 
but he acted on behalf of his people. He is acting on behalf of his people now. He will continue to act on behalf of his people in the future, but the people of Israel didn't trust the Lord, even though they saw all those things, right? And I think that's honestly like something that's been really hard for me to kind of like grapple with, and because I, I see that, like I see that in my own life. Like God gives these commands, and, and we're going to get at some of these other questions, but like there's a really big part of why I don't obey that's wrapped up in my lack of trust in the Lord. And I think, at least from this passage, like, I'm, I'm wondering as I'm, as I'm, like, preparing all this, like, wow, God, maybe I've forgotten who you are. Maybe I've forgotten, like, the glory of your gospel that you wrought for me, you know, or maybe just in, in life, because I know that, I, like, I carry with me the testimonies of God's works and acts in, in my life. Like, I know, I remember, like, as I'm thinking, like, right here, all these crazy times where the Lord, like, really came through in powerful ways for me and exhibited his power and his love and his grace and mercy and fulfilled promises in my life in really, really powerful ways. But I'm so quick to forget that. And honestly, the past five, six months have been really difficult for me because I feel like I've wrestled with so much like doubt with the Lord. I feel like just with all the different things going on, it's and, and honestly, God just digging up old things from my past. It's like, wow, I don't trust the Lord. Like, I'm carrying a lot of bitterness or I'm carrying a lot of fears and doubts. And it's because I just, I doubt God is who he says he is. And I doubt that God loves me to the extent that he says that he loves me. And it makes it difficult for me to like want to entrust myself to him because when he tells me to do things that are hard or painful, it's hard for me to reconcile. Okay, no, this is, this is the hand of a loving, caring surgeon, you know, for an example, who's trying to save my life and not only save my life, but improve my quality of life, so to speak, my, my quality of spiritual life. Right. But for me, it can just feel like, man, no, this is not like a loving, caring surgeon. This is a, a thug with, you know, a switchblade type of thing. And I'm going to have a very different physical response to a guy coming at me with a switchblade who's just some thug on the street than I would to a surgeon, even if I'm not under anesthesia. Like, hopefully I have the, you know, if it was that important, I would be willing to like surrender but that trust isn't there, okay? So let's move on, though, because I, I don't want to. I don't want to stay there, right? Like, okay, well, I don't. I have. The, I don't have this trust for the Lord that that is clearly required here. So what do we do with that? If you're at that place, like, you're like, wow, yeah, I I don't want to read the Word because it's difficult, and I don't trust God. I don't want to obey the Lord. And honestly, I feel like we're, we all may be facing different situations that are really difficult because we know God is telling us to do something, but we don't want to do it, right? Maybe there's some addiction in your life and you don't want to stop doing it because honestly, like when life gets hard or you feel lonely or you feel inadequate or you feel overwhelmed, that thing that you go to does feel good. It does help. And you don't want to obey when God says, don't do that thing, right? Or maybe God wants you to be honoring like some authority that's been placed over you and you don't want to because you think that what they're doing or saying is unfair or wrong or unjust, right? But God says, honor your parents. God says, respect the authorities that are in place over you, right? And he tells us to do these things. Well, I don't want to, God. Like, I don't trust that what you're telling me to do is, is good, right? And we can wrestle with that. So what do we what do? We do? So let, let's go to Psalm 9. <clears throat> We're going to read verses 9 and 10. So we saw from the last one, at least in part, the why we obey is because we trust the Lord, okay? And we're going to get at like what we're trusting him for, but at least to some extent there is there is trust that God knows what is best and God loves us. So he's going to do what's genuinely good for us. We also trust 
Like Hebrews says that he created the universe. So in creating the universe, he knows how it works. He knows from the end, from the beginning. He's outside of time, so he sees what's coming next. Okay, the why is because we trust him, but what if we don't have trust? Psalm 9, 9, <clears throat> 9 and 10 says, The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have, for, have not forsaken those who seek you. I'm just going to read that again. Those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Do we know his name? So, that's weird, right? Okay, yeah, his name is God. Great. All right. Now we're going to like automatically trust the Lord completely, right? So I don't think that's exactly what the author is getting at, okay? I don't think we just, okay, yeah, Jesus, sweet. I know his name, so like I'm all set. I think what he's getting at here is there's a relationship, okay? And Psalm, or a lot of the Psalms were written by David. David had a really intimate relationship with the Lord, and it's really vividly portrayed in the Psalms that he writes because he uses such like expressive language about the relational, um, well, just the, the relationship, just this intimacy that, that, he, that he shared with the Lord. And it's kind of interesting because you see a lot of that, like even before he became king or was being hunted for his life, like he spent this time um, with sheep. He cared for these sheep. And, um, and Mike, it was really cool. He used to call his time with the Lord field time because of that, because David spent time out in the field caring for the sheep, just spending time with the Lord, being intimate in his relationship with the Lord. Those are the kind of people that put their trust in Jesus. Those that know God, those that have a relationship with God, those that have seen him act on their behalf. Like when we get saved, there's definitely an element where we see like what God has done in other people, what God has done like in the history of you know the scripture. But I read something really, really interesting. And it's a very different kind of like faith from somebody who just takes the testimony of someone else that they believe to be reliable who's speaking about something versus somebody who's actually experienced what is being spoken about, okay? There's validity to both, but for Juliana to tell me, God did this awesome thing and he is trustworthy. Like, I trust Juliana. Like, and so that's gonna like build up my faith and that's gonna instill something really good in me. But for me to experience that same thing that Juliana experienced is gonna be so much deeper transforming like in my life. And so... There's some element here that I want us to, to get at that is we need to trust the Lord because in trusting him, it, it's going to help us to obey, but it, it's it's deeper than that. It's not just like trusting that, okay, he's a competent person, but it's a relational thing, like knowing the Lord. And and, I, and I'm going to get at, and we're going to look at some stuff with this. I think it's about love, and I think we're going to see that in some of the things we look forward to in, in these passages, but... If you are at a place right now where you feel like it's really, really difficult for you to trust the Lord, it's really difficult for you to obey the Lord, or you just look at your life and you realize, wow, there's a lot of sin in my life and I'm honest with myself right now. Like I may not even notice it because I'm just okay with it. That may be where you're at too. I'm going to encourage us. There is a relationship and an intimacy with the Lord that I think can change some of that. And so I want us to, to look at this, okay? Um, let's look at Second Peter. So we're going to be jumping around. A little bit, but it's really interesting because um, I don't know. I just feel like Kate and I have been learning all these things the past several years. And, and Shine and I were talking about this yesterday. We went to a conference and they were talking about like the merger and this idea of like that you know we're we're sourcing. We're getting now that we're in Christ, like we're all mixed up in Christ, and we find our source and and everything. Just 
in him. This this passage is really, really cool. Um, down there. So Second uh, Peter 1, we're going to read verses 3 and 4. And um, it's just interesting because Kate, Kate just has been really meditating on this a lot. And I found it today and we we're just like nerding out over in the car right here. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. That's pretty cool, right? His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Who wants life and godliness? Yeah, like he's got it. In his divine power, he has granted it to us. Okay, and I want you to just think about that for a second. Like the God of the universe, in his divine nature and all that he is, he has granted to us everything we need for life and godliness. Like that's, that's cool. That's an intimate relational thing. It's a gift, right? Now here's the kicker. Through the knowledge of him. So how has he granted all these things to us? Life, everything we need for life and godliness. How has he granted it to us? Through the knowledge of him. That's what we just talked about in that verse, right? Psalm 9 says, those who know his name. Through our knowledge of him, he grants us all that we need for life and godliness. <clears throat> um, he, he who called us to his own glory and excellence. So he is calling us to share the same glory. Mike talked about that a couple weeks ago. Like the glory is ours here and now and in the future. That's like that. He's calling us to that guys. He's not calling us to just some like poop shoot life. Like there is glory for us in Christ and it's beautiful and excellence. And it's by these things by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped, and I think this is really, really cool, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. Who wants to escape the corruption caused by your sinful desires? Yes. There is nothing implied in here that talks about that this is for after death. Does everybody see that? He's not saying like, when you get to heaven. Yes, when we get to heaven, there will be no sin, there will be no death, there will be no sinful desire, and therefore no corruption. This is talking about here and now. Like, right now he has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Right now he has given us his divine, his, his powerful promises so that we can participate in the divine nature. All that God is for us in Christ Jesus, we can participate in right now through his promises. So it's kind of cool because in the knowledge of God, in, and I'm going to say the relational knowledge of Christ, the intimacy that we have with him, we have everything that we need for life and for godliness. And I feel like sometimes we hear that and we think, okay, that's cute, but like, I got to go to work tomorrow and like get a job and I got to pay the bill. So that's cute. Like, that's fine, but I have to be practical too, right? Okay, granted, but I'm telling you this passage is in those practical moments too. Like, it's not like you need everything for life and godliness in Christ, like outside of the nine to five. Like your job is, is from the Lord, your provision for daily living, for food, the roof over your head. I am telling you right now, everything that you need for life, like if you want to keep living, if you want to keep paying the bills so you continue to live and provide for your family and your kids, it's all in God. That's not some like cutesy kumbaya thing. That's a really real practical thing. And he talks about that with the promises. Like the promises are how we partake of and experience that satisfaction for, for everything that we need for life and godliness. So it's not like some, I'm not being cute, like it's a very literal daily moment by moment experience that we can have that finds everything we need, the satisfaction for every need and desire. Jesus makes that so explicitly clear when he talks about like the bird, right? That, they, that the people, they're out in the field and, and they're listening to preach. You, talk, you guys see those sparrows? Like they're sold for two for a penny or whatever. And the, the flowers of the field 
God knows that you as a human being, he designed your body. He knows that you need food. He knows that you need to put clothes on. He's not unaware of our, of our problems, of our, of our needs, everything that we need. But he makes it really clear that it's in his promises that we get to like experience. Like That's where it gets real. Okay, And I think that's really interesting, too, because his promises are in his word. And in his word is where we see the mighty, and we're going back to Psalm 78. The word is where we see his, like, his awesome works and his mighty power revealed, the character of who God is revealed in, in the pages of the scripture, along with all the promises that he promises to be for us in those moment-by-moment daily things, right? But he's challenging us. That's, that's a relationship. That's a, are you going to come to me? Are you going to trust me that I can do all these things that I'm saying I'm going to do? Are you going to trust my promises for all that I said I want to be for you? So that's the how, right? We can, we can look at these, these promises and say, okay, well, God promises to do this and God promises to do that. But in that trust, in that going to the word, in these, these promises, it's not possible. Okay, so if you're, a not, if you're not a believer right now, if you're not in Christ and you're listening to this, I want there to be like a little bit of excitement, like this is huge, right? This is a big deal, but you can't do this without Jesus. And I feel like that raises another question for me, like what is our motivation in doing this, right? Is this just like, I want to be careful with how I say this, but honestly, like it kind of, I don't like so much the idea of the Bible being like explained as like an instruction manual, okay? Because yes, God is the God of the universe. He designed it all. He created it. And that's really, really great. But it's also like saying it's an instruction manual for like a car that has no engine, right? Like, yes, this is how it's supposed to work, but it will only work if Christ is in you and you're being empowered by the Holy Spirit and his grace. And you're participating in the promises of God as enabled by his grace, moment by moment. And that's not like, that kind of living is not available to you unless you're in Christ. Like, that's what he won for us. That is for those that are in Christ. He's won for us his spirit, like the very spirit of God to be living inside of us, like blows my mind. But it's to set us free from the power of sin and enable us to walk the path of righteousness. Like, and it's cool too, because he says, those that hunger and thirst for righteousness will get what they're asking for. Like, he, he wants to give that to us. So my question then is, so, like, wh- what's the motivation for obeying? Because we've already established, like, we can't do this. So it's not just something like is available for everybody. You just follow the scripture, and you're going to get whatever it is we think we're we're going after. But am I doing this just so that I can have like a happy life? I guess is what I'm getting at. Like, so all these great and precious promises, we're going to get delivered from sinful desires and the corruption of the world, but like to what end? So am I building this relationship with the Lord and letting him build trust and intimacy in me so that I can have peace, so that I'm not poor, so that I'm not like at odds with the people that I love, so that um, I have success, so I can have lots of friends, so I can have no pain, so I can have a comfortable life, so I can have fun, so I can have an easygoing life. Um, Arthur brought this up in Life Group um, in Hebrews. It has like the Hall of Faith, like that whole chapter where it just talks about all these people that really trusted the Lord for his promises and how none of them got to see like the promises fulfilled in their lifetime. At the end of that passage, it talks about those who like went about naked and in sheepskins and were persecuted and beaten and they went around living this by the worldly like mindset, a really miserable existence, 
But then it says the world wasn't worthy of these people. So I'm going to say from that, like, the goal is not to just have some easy, comfortable life or success as the world defines it, right? In fact, Jesus says, like, if you follow me, life will get hard. People will hate you. People will persecute you. So if you're not in Christ, come join us in suffering and being persecuted. Let's go. You want want in on that? Let's go, right? (laughs) Not a great, like, incentive. That's not going to, like, sell a bunch of tickets, right? So what is it? Like what 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 is our goal? Like what what are we what are we doing this for? Like okay, I trust God. I see his promises. I trust that he's going to fulfill those promises this moment that I'm in right now. I'm faced with the desire to to sin in some way, but I trust God and and this is a faith that he's going to he has to give you. Like he has to give us that faith and stir it up and build it up in our hearts to be able to do that. But to what end? Like, what's what's the like the final objective? Because again, I'm going to point back. Like when I grew up, I thought like obedience was like the end all, be all. Like the reason God did all this stuff was so we would obey and be holy. The end. Created like a bunch of perfect people, right? And I just I don't I don't think that's it. I don't I think there's more to that. And honestly, if we're going to the Lord, and I can get caught up even in like I serve God and I'm doing these things because I really like the emotional. Just the experience of being in God's presence, right? Like when worship is really good or like I'm in a really good spiritual place, it can feel really good, right? I mean, can anybody like relate to that? The problem is that I can make that experience become the objective. And I don't know. Like I really wrestle with like how to say this, but I feel like so many times it can be really, really easy to come to God and do all these things for like some of the side effects of what obedience looks like. And we end up like treating God as like a vending machine or some kind of like cheap trick to like get what we're actually after. Like I yeah, well, like I'm serving God because I want to have kids that like grow up to be not jerks. Or I want like this this certain life that, that that I have in my mind, right? But like I think if we're honest with ourselves, some of those times, if God said, and I'm, I'm going to say, like I've had this experience because God like really convicted my heart one time because He literally said, like if you could be free from pornography forever, your whole life, but it was outside of any kind of intimacy with me, would you take it? And like my heart instantly said, yes, I would. And then I felt like my heart like dropped and I just realized like I want God for whatever. And it can be really easy for us to like sink into that. We can think, man, like, yeah, I want freedom from the guilt of my sin, but I'd be willing to like not have intimacy with Jesus to get it. And I don't think that's the point. Like, I don't think the point is just like obedience for the sake of obedience. I really think the point is God. Like, I think that we are made for intimacy with him. And I really think that when he says, I want you to walk in freedom from sin and holiness, that's just like the first step into obedience. Like he'd removed all the barriers so we could have him. And I really think like, sometimes I like, I wonder, man, if in my life I could really get that idea that like I could have God, it it would kind of like ruin the flavor like the taste for everything else, you know, like if I could really see and like believe and trust, man, God has himself for me. 
man, why am I drinking from this like cesspool? Like, why am I drinking this dirty mud water when I could be drinking that like super cold spring water that's like brand new, fresh and awesome, you know? And I feel like that would really shift my mindset. So I, I want us to look at a passage in Hebrews 12. So Hebrews 12, 12, 14 says, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And I'm looking at the definition for that word see. And in here it says, you know, I, I see, but it's um, normally widened in the sense to mean I experience. So it's not literally like, it's not just saying like those that don't, like those that aren't holy won't get to see God in heaven. The implication here is more like there is a holiness without which no one will get to experience the Lord. Okay, and I just want to like, I want us to think about that for a second. Holiness is the stepping stone to experiencing the Lord. So honestly, like it can be really sad because sometimes we, maybe we say it, sometimes we hear other believers say it, like, and honestly, Paul addresses this like really strongly. I, I have grace, like I'm forgiven. I don't need holiness. I don't need obedience. But what we're saying, I mean, one, we're taking advantage of God's grace and we're like trotting over it, not realizing that his kindness leads us to repentance, right? But we're also saying like, that's that's not how this works. Like God wants intimacy with us. He died on the cross and rose again from the dead and ascended into heaven so that sin could be out of the way. Like not only just to like sin out of the way so that there can be a relationship because sin separated us from God because in our sin, like we were objects of wrath, but it's removing the sin and daily experience so that in daily experience, we can experience who God is. And it's also in Christ because he sent Jesus to live and die so we could see what God is like, like in physical form. And then he sent his Holy Spirit in us so that in daily life, in the emotions that we feel, in the wrong motivations that we feel, in the pain that we feel, in life's joys and happiness, in all of it, we can experience the Lord in that. But what he's saying is here is without holiness, you won't get that, right? So, and I want to make clear, like on the one hand, there is holiness that is just ours because we're, we're in Christ, right? But I think there's more like, because he goes on to say, like, make sure that no one misses the grace of God because of, and then he lists a bunch of sin. Like, so this isn't just some theoretical thing. He's saying like, there is an experience with God that you will miss out on if you live your life throwing away the commands and the holiness of the Lord. Okay. And that makes it just really clear. Like it's, God's not wanting you just to be obedient just because he wants you to be obedient. He's wanting you to be, to be obedient because he wants you to trust him that he is drawing you to himself. Jesus said, no one comes to the son unless the father draws him. God is drawing you to his son. If you're not saved, I'm praying that God is drawing you right now as I'm preaching, drawing you in faith to Christ to come to a saving knowledge of him so that he can set you free from sin and so you can start to experience the stuff that we're talking about. But if you're a believer, God is calling you to himself. We, talk, we saw that in the other passage too in Second Peter. He says he's calling us to his glory and excellence right now, right now. That path, though, is holiness. That path is obedience. And the end goal, like what we're going for, the end of the trail, and throughout the entire trail, and Kate and I were kind of talking about this on the way here, is intimacy with Jesus, right? And we see that because there is no step of this trail of true holiness and true obedience that's authentic 
that's not got Jesus right by your side, either holding your hand or depending on how you like picture this metaphor in your head, straight up picking you up and carrying you, right? Like we've got that sand analogy, which is funny because that like came up earlier yesterday. But I I said I wasn't going to use this analogy, but now I can't like think of a better one. (laughs) But um, in Lord of the Rings, I feel super nerdy using this right now. I don't know why. But anyway, in the Lord of the Rings, there's... You know, if you're not familiar with it, they have there's this long journey they have to go on that's super dangerous, and they have to destroy this thing, okay? Um, to do that, though, they have to bring together a big group of people to support the guy that has to do the thing, okay? They all come together, but then they go on this journey. What's really, really cool is at the end of the story, and I like it better in the in the book because it's, just, it's so much realer and vivider, um, is at the end of the story, there is such a bond among these people, it's unreal. Like when they leave, like life can't go back to the way it was. They can't just go back to other relationships the way they were because they have lived life with these people. Like life and death situation after life and death situation, impossible thing after impossible thing, heartache after heartache, great, huge triumph after great, huge triumph. When you share that kind of life and adventure with somebody, you you can't help it, guys, like, because they were completely dependent on one another. Like, the different characters and their different scenes play out, but it's cool, and I like in the movie, because, like, the two characters, they're, you know, competing over, you know, fighting the bad guys and who can fight more, but they're also, like, they save each other's lives, and at the end of that, these guys didn't like each other, like, to begin with, but at the end, like, you cannot separate these guys, and you better not say anything mean about the other guy, because he will, he will defend his friend's honor, right? Just such, like, a camaraderie gets built, such an intimacy gets built. That is what Jesus is offering us daily, daily, moment by moment, second by second of your life. Like, this is war. Like, life is not some game. Life is not just some, the next promotion after next promotion. Satan is actively right now, even as I'm speaking to you, he is trying to steal your soul. He is trying to rob from you the salvation. Beyond that, the experience, the daily experience that you could have with Jesus right now. And we just say, like, I'm comfortable, I'm going to say me, when I say that I am comfortable with living just a complacent life of sin and lukewarmness and abandoning my first love, I am saying no to one, the grand adventure that could be mine, right, in the pursuit of Christ, with Christ, right? But I'm also saying no to all the manifestations of God's power and triumph and glory and richness and divining, the partaking of his divine nature that could be mine in, in every moment. And so I want to extend that to us. So I feel like I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's go to Deuteronomy. <clears throat> Deuteronomy. 17. To be like totally honest, I was really struggling with this sermon yesterday because I like all these different things, but I just felt like, God, I don't know what I'm supposed to be saying. And I accidentally went to this verse and I thought it was really, really cool. Um, Deuteronomy 17, 19. So this is God talking about if you guys in the future, when I set you up in the promised land, if you want a king, I will allow that, but I have some contingencies. Here's one of them. So Deuteronomy 17, 19, 17, 19 says, um, Actually, let me back up. 18. When he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priests, and it shall be with him, and he shall read in it all the days of his life, so that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, 
and that he may not turn aside from the commandment either to the right hand or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. I also want us to go to Psalm 119. Um, and actually, you guys stay in Deuteronomy because I'm gonna just I'm gonna jump all around Psalm 119 and just just listen for a second, okay? I'm just gonna I want you to hear the language that's used because Psalm 119 is just it's basically just talking about this guy's fond deep affection for the law, which I gotta be honest, like even to this day I really struggle with because I feel like that sentiment is so foreign to me. But I feel like this week as I've been like praying through this, God's really been like working in my heart and I'm like starting to see like how this guy can have this attitude. Just, just listen to the language that's used about God's law. Okay. With my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth and the way of your testimonies. I delight as much as in all riches. Like it sounds like he's talking about like me when I talk about those dark chocolate candies that are like really, really good or like (laughs) chocolate ice cream or something. Right. Later, I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Later, my soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. Further down, lead me in the paths of your commandments, for I delight in it. Behold, I long for your precepts and your righteousness. Give me life, for I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. This is my comfort and affliction, that your promise gives me life. I'm going to read one more thing to you guys. Just listen to this, okay? It's in John Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I really think that the reason these guys, like the king, were supposed to read the commands and make sure to keep to them, and the reason that the psalmist in Psalm 119 speaks so fondly of the law and the commandments is because I think they understood what what I don't. And I think... It has something to do with when God gives us faith and we get saved, we enter into this covenant relationship with the Lord. Our past is wiped clean. Our future is wiped clean. We are forgiven of all sin, right? We are birthed again now in Christ with the Holy Spirit living inside of us to be with us in every moment. And I really think that God is inviting us to live a life where we don't forget what he did in the past, right? in the gospel, but also like in our own personal lives, the testimonies that he's wrought in our lives so that he can continue to build up that faith and that trust in him, but also that that love. Because there's a passage that says, you know, it's, it's talking about some of the believers and it says their faith, um, their, their love, which was produced by faith. Okay, I think true and genuine faith in the Lord produces love for him. And in that love is a is a trust that's really intimate and really relational. It's really like, wow, God, I'm in the throes of life. And this isn't just like, a, oh, I trust, you know, this business guy because he gives good advice. This is, I'm trusting you with my life. I'm trusting you with my emotions. I'm trusting you with my frailty and my vulnerability right now because I have a relationship with you and because I love you and because I trust that not only like do you know what you're doing, but you care. You care about me in a really deep and profound way. And then God says, yes, now here is how you, like, this is, this is the path I'm going to lead you down. I want to lead you in all intimacy with me, in all power in your life, in all goodness, in all righteousness. And it's going to be painful. Like, there are going to be parts of life that are terrible and horrible, but I have something better. You will not thirst and you will not hunger in me. I have something for you in myself that will satisfy you. 
And I think this is, I, I just think that there's a deeper satisfaction that I've ever known that is in Christ and is in that that kind of trusting and that kind of obedience. And obedience is like where the trust is, is real, right? Because it takes real trust like to know your experience to say, when I go to this thing, this addiction, it makes me feel good every time. But God, you're saying you're better and that you, you, you want better for me and you love me and, and you want me to go down this path. Obedience says, I love you and I need your help to like obey right now, but that's, that's the path I want to take. I'm going to trust you in this moment. Your promises are real. You love me and you care for me and you're going to help me take this step of obedience to walk down this different path. Walking down that path doesn't make God love us more. It doesn't make us God, like God more proud of us. And guys, I don't want you to walk away from this thinking, well, I just need to do the right things, whatever, whatever, for whatever the motivation is. I want us to walk away from this saying, God, I want you to remind me of who you are. I want you to show me your face. I want you to teach me your name. I want to grow in intimacy and relationship with you so you can birth more of this faith and love in me and I, so that I can walk this path of obedience so that I can get more faith and more love and more intimacy with you. But my other challenge is like, we have to get into the word and it can't be like, I've so often made it. Mike and I have had a bunch of conversations lately. It's really easy to go to the word and say like, I want to get into the word so I can fix myself or I can figure out what the right things are so that I can go do them. That's not, that's not what it's there for. It's not just some instruction manual that God expects you to just take and go live out and do. I think that he wants us to come to the word totally vulnerable, totally like void of any expectations of what God needs to do in this moment for it to be a success and just say, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust because you say the man planted, the man in the word on the daily is like the tree planted by streams of water. I trust that I'm going to get into this word and it may feel like totally boring, but I'm trusting you that through this, this, and it's a simple act, guys, even though like I struggle with this so much, like to be fair, it is a simple act. I'm just going to read. It's a simple act of reading, but I'm going to trust that, God, you're going to take my vulnerability in coming to you. I just want to know you more. I don't even know what that should look like right now, but I'm, going to, I'm just going to read. Because you said to read, I'm going to trust that you're going to reveal yourself to me through your word so I can know you better. I'm going to trust that you're going to fill me with more faith and you're going to fill me with more love. But it's a relational thing. Like we're coming to the word to find him to find Jesus. Jesus said to the, the disciples on the road to Emmaus, like the entire Old Testament was all about Jesus. It all led up to Jesus. We're going to this word, trusting that he will open up our eyes and reveal himself to us through the word and encourage us. And that will be a fountain of grace for us, right? And 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 Sarah reminded me of this because I was having a really hard time last week. Zacchaeus climbed the tree and he didn't know what to expect, right? He just wanted to see Jesus. I'm going to sit in this tree and I'm going to wait. And I just think that's what Jesus wants us to do. He wants us to trust him. Like, I'm going to come to the word. I'm going to sit here in this tree and I don't know what happens. Like, nothing may happen, but I'll get to see Jesus because he's promised he will meet me here in this word. And I don't know what what that'll look like, right? But I think God wants us to obey because he wants our hearts. He wants intimacy with us. And that's what I'm going to pray for right now, okay? Jesus, I just come before you right now, and I pray that you would work through just the frailty of my words this morning and really get at our hearts with the the deep truth that you have for us in this. And I pray, God, that you would you would move our hearts, you would change our hearts, you'd give us faith, you would give us love for you, you would help us to trust you and to remember who you are and remember your works. And I pray, God, that as 
you help us to take that step of faith and obedience to read your word, that you would do what you've promised to do. And help, God, our hearts to be right in doing that. Help us to come to your word not for false motives, not for ulterior motives, God, other things that we want besides you that you're just some, like, you know, stepping stone towards. But I pray that we just come in total vulnerability, God, to say, like, I don't know what this should look like. I can't do this on my own. I need you. And that you would meet us in that. But I pray, too, God, that you would help us to really delight, like, the psalmist and like the king who sees your laws and commandments as a beautiful, rich thing because it's how you're going to lead us in our intimacy with Jesus. It's how you're going to take us step by step in a relationship with you, God, where we find satisfaction in in you, Jesus. And I just pray, God, for folks that are listening that aren't saved, especially, God, for those that think that they're saved, but but they're not, Jesus, that you would show them the truth of where they are right now. And because those that aren't in Christ, God, they they are they hate you and they are outside of you and they are outside of the grace that could be theirs and they need you and they need to repent from their sin and they need to be set free from their their love for sin and their hatred of you, God, and they need faith and they need repentance. And I just pray, Lord God, that you would work in hearts right now to draw them to Jesus. And I pray that you would give the conviction of the Holy Spirit for them to realize, I woe is me, like I am a sinner. And like the, like the guy said to, to Peter, what should we do? Their hearts were moved, Lord God. And I pray that you would move hearts right now that aren't saved to say, God, what do I do right now? And you would, you would lead them, God, into salvation. And I pray for those that are believers, like me, God, that really struggle with this idea of just obedience. And God, I'm bad at obeying. Like, I'm just, I'm not good at this, Lord that's okay. And I pray that you help us to see that that's okay because in you, we find the strength in your promises and in that intimacy with you, step by step, holding our hands, carrying us, Lord God, you're really good at obeying because you're powerful and you're God and you're perfect and you know how to do this. And I just pray, Lord God, that you would help us to trust you, to love and to trust you, to lead us in obedience. And when that option comes up to sin or to obey, we'd say, I want to obey because that's the path where I find Jesus. And that's where I find intimacy and the satisfaction that I so long for in my soul. And I just pray, Lord God, for us believers, root out the lies, teach us the truth, and help us to to abide in your love. Your, your word says, if we obey your commandments, we will abide in your love. God, help us to trust you to take these steps of obedience, empowered by your spirit, trusting your promise to be fulfilled in these little steps of faith that we're taking, God. And let us experience you, Jesus, all that you are and all that Christ is. And help us to remember, God, that grace for us is Christ in us. And I just pray that that would reassure our souls, God, in the name of Jesus. Amen.